Kia ora, I'm Rachel and welcome to this week's What and Why, where I am joined by Steve to talk about what happened at Parihaka and what is Way of the Rokura. And so Steve, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Kia ora, Rachel, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, the story of Parihaka uh, has really impacted me personally, so much so that I found myself through a whole series of events writing a stage musical about it. But to first of all, to answer your question, what happened at Parihaka? So, you know, what are those events and why did they strike me and why have they struck so many others? Um, to put it really, really briefly, what was happening in the latter half of the 1800s was a whole lot of land was being acquired by the Crown and, uh, and, and was being bought up by the settlers, the Pakeha settlers who were coming in. Now, what happened in Taranaki is basically just about the whole of Taranaki was acquired by the crown. And so where do the Māori go? There's just, there's nowhere left. And so in the course of that, there was this one tribe uh, who decided they wouldn't fight. And this is because they were um, Christians and they believed Jesus' words that said, love your enemies. And so they wanted to put that into practice. So they did not fight when land was taken from them. And so they, they would just up quietly and leave and go somewhere else. And so what happened in this case is they went and they came right in close to the mountain off the beaten track around the coast. The beaten track in Taranaki is around the coast, so that's where all the settlements were. And so they came away away from that into the bush and they started this uh, village called Parihaka, which ended up being one of the most, uh, in fact, at the time, it was the most uh, forward-thinking, uh, well-developed village amongst Māori in the whole of the country. And so massive farmland, uh, they had electric light there, they had a bakery and a bank and, um, and everybody involved. So quite an impressive Māori village. Now this, like I say, all off the beaten track, but then in the course of time, uh, they discovered for what they're doing and, uh, and the Crown decides that they want that land as well. Now this is just incredible. You can imagine there's just nowhere left. Mm. And at this time, Parihaka had become a, like a haven for Māori from all over the country. So people were coming from, this, this was the last place, at least the last place in Taranaki and for many dispossessed of their lands. It was the, it, it was the place that you wanted to get to if you could. And so one day, uh, surveys come along and they're surveying land that actually runs right through some of the fields of Parihaka and this is noticed. And, and, uh, and this is the beginnings of the acquisition of the land of Parihaka. And um, so, yeah, so, so all of that happens. And then obviously, what do Māori do? Well, these are people who don't fight. Mm. And so um, what they did is they decided to protest in ways that weren't violent in a way that would get the government's attention. And so they did ploughing and fencing. Uh, and so ploughing was going into people's lands and ploughing up their lands. These are lands that were Māori land before, uh, uh, but if it's now owned by white people and suddenly their lawns are getting ploughed up, that's pretty <laughs> distressing for them and certainly gets the attention of the government. And then the fencing side of it was the surveyors would pull their fences down to put their roads through Parihaka and then overnight the Māori would put the fences back up again. So this ploughing and fencing, uh, the civil disobedience, if you like, uh, was was this technique was so significant that Gandhi picked it up with his uh, campaign in India and did similar. You know, how can we be civilly disobedient uh, in a ways that that are non-violent, that get the government's attention, the powers that be attention, and uh, that might bring some change in our country. 
So that's what was happening, and uh, and then in the course of time, it all comes to a head. There's a massive invasion. Uh, there's a belief that Parihaka is really dangerous, but there's actually no real evidence of it. And so uh, the minister of the natives from the government, his name is John Bryce, gets sent there to lead an invasion. Uh, and so he takes 1,600 men and a cannon to come and blow them all to smithereens and this pacifist village that they arrived to. Instead of fighting back, they were never going to fight back. That's not who they were. That's not their code. That's not anything like And instead what happens is these little kids come out to meet them and they sing them songs and they give them baking. They give the soldiers baking. And so this is one of the most incredible moments in New Zealand history. Mm. So you can see why it inspires me and why I wanted to uh, be involved with writing a, a stage musical about it. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is the you know, significance of Parihaka? The significance of it? Well, I mean, it's incredibly significant. I mean, if a country like India picks this up and mm. says, uh, you know, we, we, in fact, this story is actually taught in some high schools in India. It's wow. that significant because of the influence on Gandhi by Tafiti and Tohu, the leaders of Parihaka. Mm. Um, and, and it was reported, of course, in London at the time. Um, and so it's become internationally significant. It's just that for some weird reason, it's not really known that well in New Zealand. And I say that as a guy who grew up in Taranaki myself, my favourite beach to go and swim at when I was a kid is the very place where Tafiti was born. Uh, but nobody told me the story. I, I had to learn it from books uh, in my 20s. And uh, so it's, it's internationally significant. Just the radical nature of it. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a story that really our country need to know. Yeah, okay. And, you know, it's such a tragic and monumental part of our history, but why do you think it isn't as well recognised as something like Waitangi Day? Yeah, well, I think that right back when it happened, there were two stories of the event. So what happened is the bad guy in the story, Mr Bryce, the Minister of the Natives who who led the um, invasion, he told the reporters who had come, the news reporters, he said, you're not to go and report on this event, we will send you an account of what happens. And he sort of said things like, it's for your own safety and all this. But effectively, he didn't want it reported as it happened. Now, some of the reporters, the reporters were outraged by that, but some of them decided, we'll stuff this. This is is a big scoop. I want to be there and get it. And so they, um, they go and they hide and they report. They want to report absolutely everything that happens, you know, <laughs> just mm. to get back at uh, at Mr. Bryce and the government. And so that's what happened. So our, our records of what happened are actually really, really uh, detailed and explicit. Uh, but but there were always these two stories. So uh, so who do you believe? You know. So in generations that follow, uh, Maori and, Paki, uh, and Parihaka, well, they had the story passed down as generations. But many growing up in New Zealand, well, well, you know, there were always different accounts of it in newspapers and, um, and many of us didn't even learn it at school. So when someone says this outrageous thing happened, well, how do you know? Who's, mm. you know? And um, so there were always two stories until 2017 when the Crown apologised for the part that they played in it. And at that point, really, they aligned, they, they um, seeing all the accounts and all the incredible detailed recording of what actually happened, they they looked at this and said, this is just incredible, this is awful, we apologise. And that was a wholehearted apology, it was a massive process with Parihaka that um, that uh, wanted to, to kind of look across everything that was happened, not just be a token thing. Uh, a lot of apologies had happened prior to that, but there really needed to be one on behalf of the Crown. 
that was comprehensive, that really understood and really stated what had fully happened, and that didn't happen before 2017. And why do you think it took so long for a Crown apology, in your opinion? Yeah, you know, that's a great question, and I, I, I can't give the final answer on that. Mm. Uh, but I know a few things about it. I think that the story has been very, very painful for the Parihaka people. And so if some horror had happened in your family line, mm. uh, and people came to you and said, hey, the world's got to know about this, you might not want that. You know, you might feel, you know, this is, this is awful, this is hard, this is sacred to us. It's, it's our story, we can't change it, but it's not, you know, and we, we don't want to celebrate this, we don't want people making money out of this, we don't, you know, that, 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 that whole uh, side to it. And who's telling the story, you know? So if someone's to tell your story, well, how do you know they're telling the truth, you know? So having all these things happen to them and having been had two stories all the way, so remember the other story was still out there somewhere, um, so exactly what happened was not clear. So I, I think until that crowd apology... It, it um, you know, there was potential danger in telling the story. Uh, you know, you, who, who's telling it? How are they telling it? For what reason? What are they emphasising? What are they trying to push? You know, and a, a whole lot of racism kind of still gathers all around the telling of it potentially. And um, so it's so important who tells it, how you know, which story is told, etc. But all of that came together differently from 2017. Yeah, and was it quite an effective? apology you know was it quite accurate and honest did they really you know confront what what had happened yeah yeah it um well i would say so i can't speak as one of them of course. Uh, but there's a booklet with everything that was said and they worked through for quite a long time with uh, representatives of parihaka so they could get the facts straight and the, the detail clear and um so reading through that i thought well, basically tells you the whole story of what happened all over again uh and and with the words are very heartfelt uh, there's nothing token about it, that's for sure. Now, I think from Parihaka's point of view, um, I don't think that made the past go away. I don't think that suddenly made everything okay, but the, the sense I get generally is that that was a major step forward. And certainly for people like me who, who feel this story is important and, and, and want New Zealand to know it, um, it, it, you know, when there's now one story to tell that's different, you know, you, you don't have to look over your shoulder in case someone has a different opinion or whatever in quite the same way as you did before. Yeah, so I can tell that this story, you know, means a lot to you and this part of our history. Is that what inspired you to turn it into a musical and a showpiece to share with the world? Yeah, I, I think so. It's the coming together of different aspects of my life. So uh, growing up in Taranaki, and why did no one ever tell me this? Um, uh, becoming a church minister and as a church minister I started asking questions like uh, what is the heritage of Christian spirituality in our country you know who are our forebears in Christian faith and when you look at that it's surprising because for the most part they're Maori rather than Pakeha and a huge number of Maori became Christians in the 1800s early 1800s and um, so discovering that and thinking wow that's that's incredible too like people in churches ought, ought to know that um, and then the, um, I guess, a, a personal sense too that I felt once coming back from a, an overseas trip where I went to a country to, uh, to, to understand work being done with the poor and needy and uh, how my heart really went out to them and I wanted to know all about them as a people and I wanted to help them and, um, 
and and uh, and raise money for the work that was being done with them and all of that. And I, I was just so moved by that. And then when I came home, I thought, how come I care so much about them, but I've never really cared that much about the Indigenous culture in my own backyard? And um, mm-hmm. so there was a confronting of a number of things. And then I guess the other thing for me is um, music's a big part of my life. So um, I wanted to be a concert pianist when I left uh, school and went and studied in, in London for a number of years doing that and performed and uh, and then became a minister later. And so this is a coming together of all those aspects together uh, for me personally. Yeah, so it's... Um, it's been it's it's been an incredible experience being able to draw on all those aspects, uh, but um, yeah, with with such an incredible story, I guess my hope is that I can just do it justice. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's amazing how you've incorporated so many experiences from your own life, and you know, been able to kind of inject that into this story as well. It seems like it comes from a really honest and really genuine place and I really, really like that. Um, did you did you have any challenges in the process? Like what was the biggest challenge in the process of writing or of creating the musical? We had loads of challenges. <laughs> I've, I've written a, a, a piece on it called The Story of the Show and, and it, uh, it, it comes up with, I, I think it was about 19 obstacles. You know, like a, a writing a, a musical, writing a big thing like that, it, 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 it's not going to go anywhere by itself. Mm. And so I, I liken it to pushing a car, you know, that, that without the motor going and, you, you know, you give it a, a good push, but it's just not going to go anywhere on its own. And when other people come along and they help you push, you think, oh, wow, wow, this is just amazing. Mm. And so slowly we're, we're sort of getting it there. But um, I guess of those, the, the toughest thing... Uh, or the most challenging thing for me, um, I have no Māori ancestry. Um, I'm from Taranaki. That's my only connection, really, to this story. And so, and I didn't speak Te Reo at all uh, when I first went to Parihaka to um, to ask permission to do this. Um, now, that's just such an important part of it. It's one I one one thing to you know write a creative telling of a of a national story, but uh, where Māori in, is involved. Um, this is the story of the people in Parihaka. It's not my story, and uh, and and to learn that, and to see, and to sit with them and feel what is it? What does this mean to them? And and how are they still living in it now? Um, that was a life changing experience. And so the um, over a period of years, actually uh, meeting with uh, Parihaka folk uh, in different ways, and um, and and getting permission in the end. And we, we sort of had verbal permission, and then we had to go back in because it had to be written permission. Otherwise, partner groups couldn't get on board with us. Um, and so going through that whole process, uh, yeah, it it um, it was good. It was a really good process. Um, you know, there are stereotypes that say uh, Maori, you know, are long-winded, never agree, take forever to give permission on things. That I I think the process was good and fair, and I don't think it was unnecessarily long-winded. And um, so I'm really grateful to them for that. And even the experience that knocked the experiences that knocked me back a little along the way, I think I, I kind of uh, with a story like this. Uh, and, and the importance of it uh, nationally, culturally, uh, all of that. I, I don't regret any of that. I, and I think, uh, yeah, I'm just really thankful that we have been given permission to tell it. So you obviously got permission from the Parihaka board to go ahead with this, but what was their response? You know, Were they quite open-minded or was there still quite a lot of hurt around it and was it quite hard to get that permission? Yeah, I, well, it certainly wasn't easy to get the permission. Yeah, and there were there are a lot of different responses because they're a community. So you ask anyone in a community how they feel about it, you'll get all different answers. 
in the end, we needed something written that actually said, yes, you have permission to do this so that we could go ahead without fear of, you know, of anything. Um, the, uh, what, what we did was we contacted their trust board and, uh, and sent copies of the script and uh, they really graciously uh, looked at it and said uh, took it, took it very seriously. And all the members of the trust board took our script home, and uh, and went through it uh, with a little highlighter pens and red pens. And then they came back again to agree on what to say to us, whether they would give us permission or not, and uh, how that would go. And so that was a very nervous moment for me and for those of us who were involved in the writing of it, um, having invested you know, some years of our lives to, to do this, um, uh, what if it was a no? <laughs> yeah, of course. And so, it, 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 and they came back after just three weeks. And so they did that, they met again, and they had three things that they required us to change, uh, but they had given us permission once those things were changed. Two of those were really little things, so just a changing of a sentence, very, very simple. The other one related to a character in the show that we had to redefine, and that's because of a lineage thing and, and, and people connected with that, that person historically who, who might have seen that differently. And we, we, it's a kind of, you, know, you just don't want to cause any offence in that kind of way. And so this is why it was just so important to do that. So we, we did those things, completely changed that character, and, um, and, and rewove that into the story. And uh, yeah, and that's where we come to today. Sounds like a really good outcome. And hopefully this is gonna be a really, you know, powerful thing for them as well to be able to see their story come to life and be told in a way that's honest, in a way that they've kind of green lighted as well. You know, I think that's gonna be really powerful. And I guess my final question is where can we find out more information on Parihaka or on Way of the Rokura? Do you have any suggestions or resources? Well, finding out about Parihaka and what happened is very, very easy. Just just Google search the word Parihaka and endless articles come up. It's just so well documented and that that's... Uh, you know, um, fantastic, yeah. Um, so that's very simple. The Way of the Rokura, our show, uh, that, that is uh, at uh, Mount Albert Baptist Church from the 11th to the 19th of September. Uh, we've got an Auckland-wide Auckland cast, so you can find out all about that uh, and who's in it and, uh, and all the frequently asked questions, all the rest of it at mabc.org.nz slash parihaka hyphen musical. Um, and uh, you can also book tickets at Ticketek. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to have you here and to share your stories. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for having me.